0: We are continuing in a in a dating series, and we're calling this series "How to Date Right in a Swipe Right Culture." And um, if you were here last week, you kind of got the first three principles uh, that we laid out for you. And, and remember, we said last week that we're, we're teaching through principles, not step-by-step instructions, because relationships don't work like putting together Ikea furniture, right? So Ikea furniture, you want step-by-step instructions. You wanna know exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing next, but relationships are way more dynamic. So you need principles, uh, because relationships are way more like navigating through the ocean, and you want principles of how you apply so you can get through this. And, and last time we were together we covered three of those principles and if you weren't here I'm going to give them to you right now and if you ever want to go back and hear some of the stuff that we've talked about in 710 you can go to our website which is the number seven and then ten.org and there's a link to our podcast there or if you just uh kind of like search the podcasts you can find is it redemption 710 710 redemption anyway redemption 710 there you go you can just type in 710 it'll be the first one We've got a lot of savvy people around here, you know what I'm saying? Um, but if, anyway, so if you want to figure out some of those, you can uh, you can get that. But last week, we as we talked about dating, we said that dating is a process of evaluation that you move through, not a status that you sit in. Dating is a process that you move through. It's an evaluation process that you move through with another person, not just a status that you just kind of sit in that you arrive at and that you stay in. And in that process, you want to engage with it prayerfully. So that was the first principle. We want to we start dating prayerfully. In, in fact, prayer is one of those things you should be engaging in even before you start dating. So that's the, that's the first principle that we engage in, we employ in dating is prayerfully. And then secondly, with clarity. And we, we said there's three places where we just really want to be clear. Like we want to be clear in the initiation, right? So like guys, if you want to if you ask a girl on a date, you want to say, do you want to go on a date? Not just do you want to like hang out or something, right? Like you want to be clear with your intention, right? And, and you want to be clear Uh, in the experience, right? So if there's ever a time that either one of you were like, you know what, I'm just really not feeling it. You want to be clear about that and you want to be clear about the exit too. You want to just say, hey, this is officially over. Not just like fade the black, ghost, radio silence on somebody. Right? That is not loving at all. Uh, I know sometimes we think it's the more loving thing to do because we don't want to deal with the awkward conversation of like I'm just not having it with you. Uh, but trust me, it's way more loving to just be clear about the exit. And then finally, we said one of the prin- the, la- the principle that you want to employ in dating is you want to date with autonomy. And here's what that means: that you are responsible for you. And you don't have responsibility or privileges with the other person until you're married. Like the Bible's very clear about what happens with a husband and wife it Says they become one flesh. Now I have responsibility for and I have privileges with my wife after marriage. But I do not have responsibilities for or privileges with uh, my girlfriend or, or boyfriend. And so those were the first three. So we're going to look at four more tonight that are kind of going to help us, guide, guide us through the dating process. And we're going to try to go real quick because we got tacos. Uh, let, me, let me pray and just ask God to help us. Uh... Uh, with this. Father, thank you so much just for being so good to us and, and providing. God, I thank you for everybody that you've brought here tonight. And um, God, I don't know everybody's stories, but what I love is that you do. You are intimately acquainted with every single story that's in the room uh, tonight, and, and you know exactly what they need to hear. So Father, I want to rest in that and depend on that and lean into that. So Spirit of God, would you speak? Would you come and would you fall in this place, Father? I, I, I just felt you're here already, God. Um, through our time of singing and and worship, so Father, I just pray that you continue to move with freedom in this place. Um, and and God, as we get into this really important topic of relationships, Father, I know how dear it is to your heart, God. You invented it, uh, so would you? I just pray, allow me to communicate clearly um, from your heart, God, what it is that you would have us to do and how it is that you would have us to live in this. Jesus, I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our fourth principle um, for for how to date right in a swipe right culture is is purity. Now, if you've ever been to a dating talk in a church, you're like, oh, here it comes. Here comes, the don't touch each other part of the talk, Right? and And uh that is true but but let me try to explain like why purity because it 's not just something that like church people are supposed to say right um, it, and 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 it 's I realize I, trust me, I realize how counterculture this part of uh, uh, of the talk is going to be um, as we engage in dating because uh, dating it, for for most of us it is like well that 's the season that we 're supposed to try to kind of figure out like are we sexually compatible. I mean, that's kind of the culture's, that's the culture's whole reason for dating. You know, like, why, you know, you've probably heard someone with the argument, like, well, why would you not test drive a car before you buy it, right? And people try to use that analogy, which is, by the way, incredibly dehumanizing, but they try to use that analogy for people in, in dating, too. And, and this, to me... Is, re- is just not a good argument, and, and, and I'll explain why in just a second. Um, but, 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 but a lot of people, that's how they feel about dating in the world and the culture, is just that, like, how are we going to figure out if we're sexually compatible? And I, I want to help you with that, honestly. Um, and there's just a couple questions you just have to answer. So um, if you're a guy um, and she's a girl, there's been a ton of research on this. Um, it works. The parts fit right? So that's like as much as you need to know about are we compatible. Now here, I get it, because here's what people are really asking. Because what people are really asking when, when, when they're talking about that, like don't we have to see if we're sexually compatible, what they really mean is technique. Like, well, you know, what if he's a, what if he's a bad kisser, right? You know, so if you're pursuing a man of character, if you're pursuing a man who will care for you and listen to you, and if you're pursuing someone who's going to promise to love you in sickness and in health and richer and poor, to death do you part, right? If you've got a guy like that, and hopefully that's the kind of guy you're pursuing, this guy who says, I'm going to lay down my life for you, like, don't you think he's open to some, like, pointers on how to kiss, right? So if you find a guy where you're pursuing character, and that... For really for both of you men and women, you marry character. Ladies, find a guy, if, if you find a guy that is patient and gentle and understanding and strong, and all that character will translate into the bedroom. And, and, and men, you marry a woman that is responsive and tender and patient and encouraging, and all that character will translate into the bedroom, and you'll figure it out together. That's what, that's what the first year of marriage is for. If you think, and if you think like the world does, that you need to figure it out physically before you're married, let me just tell you something. That is so selfish. Because what, what happens if, if you get married to someone and they change physically? Like, well, if they get sick or they get in an accident or just something happens, they change physically. What do you do then? You just say, well, I mean, I married you for sexual compatibility and it's not happening anymore, so I'll just go trade you out and get something else, Right? Introducing sex into the relationship sabotages the evaluation process, right? So, if we can agree, maybe you don't agree, but I agree, that dating is an evaluation process. When you introduce sex into the relationship, it sabotages that process. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this He says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Now, here's what Paul's saying. It, it, he, he, and he actually quotes the Old Testament in that same passage, and he says, "Look, the two become one flesh." And here's what he's saying: "Sex is way more than just physical. Some, some of you I'm, I'm, you already have experienced this, you already know this. It's meant for bonding. It's meant for bonding. It's meant for physical bonding. It's meant for emotional bonding. It's meant for spiritual bonding. And sex that is outside the covenant or the commitment of marriage dehumanizes people. Meaning, sex outside of a covenant, outside of a commitment of marriage, it treats people like a product or like a commodity that can be used up and discarded or traded in. So I use this illustration all the time. It's like a rental car, right? So if I go to Enterprise Rental Car and I rent a car, I beyond, I, I, beyond like the time that I said I'm going to hold on to this car, I have no real attachment to it. So I'll get that car, I spend the $10.25 on insurance because it doesn't matter what I do with it, and then I get it and I just drive it however I want. I would never drive my own car, the car that I own, the car that I'm committed to, the car that I've invested in and paid for Right? I'd ne- I would never drive that car the same way I drive a rental car. I mean, I drive the flipping wheels off of that thing, and I don't care. it's like I stole it. I'm just spinning out, drive fast, slam on the brake, radios as loud as it goes, air conditioning, full blast, windows down. Ah, I don't care. It's like um, it's a rental, right? As soon as I'm done with it, I turn it in, and I was like, that was great. Give me another one. I'll go. And that's how we treat people. That's how we treat people. It dehumanizes people. People are made in the image of God. They have an inherent dignity. They have an inherent beauty. And we completely trash that. that this, is why, this is why God says, look, I don't want you to engage in sex outside of marriage. It's not because he's just a big, like, I hate everybody having fun. That's not it. He designed sex. He knows how good it is, and he knows how good it is in the context of a covenant and commitment of marriage sexuality is, sex is not just something that we that we do to feel good it's meant for bonding and there's bio, and there's biology that backs this up so when you connect with someone physically your body gets a spike of this chemical called dopamine and the limbic system of your brain begins to associate the person that you're with with the release of these chemicals, and it seeks out that person. So when, you're, when you go to break up with a person, especially if you've been engaged with them physically or sexually, your brain kind of goes into a panic mode. And, you, and your brain starts to release these chemicals um, that, that trigger the fight-or-flight response of, of cortisol and adrenaline, and it all kind of kicks in because you have made yourself physically addicted to that person. Because you've had this dopamine release in your, in, your, in your body. Now, if you are, if all of this is in the context of marriage, meaning like every time I'm with my wife, there's like chemical reactions that are going off and it's making me like more and more like addicted to her, that's awesome. And if she's having the same kind of thing towards me, that's really awesome. But if it's outside the context of marriage and this whole thing is fragile, can fall apart, could actually rip apart at any moment, that's tragic. And that's hurtful and that's ugly. And it messes up your ability to evaluate. We're not meant to wire ourselves to each other chemically and then tear that apart. That's not how we're biologically made. That's not how we're emotionally made. That's not how we're spiritually designed. It's like trying to figure out, like, if two chemicals can mix, so like some of you are in chemistry, you've been through chemistry class, right? so if you're trying to do like experiment, you're like, oh, I kind of wonder if these like two chemicals are compatible. And then somebody comes by with like a gallon of gasoline and jumps it on there and then throws a match on it be like, oh, I guess we're never going to know. The whole thing just blows up. And that's, that's what it's like when we introduce sex into a dating relationship. It distorts our ability to evaluate. It makes you stay in relationships that you shouldn't be in. Some of us have experienced that. It makes the breakup way more painful because you're ultimately giving more than just your body, you're giving a part of you to somebody, and it wasn't even the right somebody. In, in, in Hebrew, the word halap is, it's used to describe the relationship between a husband and wife, and the, the best translation of that word um, is best friend, and that's what you want your spouse to be, halup. In fact, that's what I'm going to start calling my wife, halap. Hello, halap, right? <laughs> that's how I'm going to do it. But when you change the dynamic physically, you lose the ability to evaluate properly. And, and you can't evaluate whether or not this is even a person I want to be friends with. Because I have a chemical addiction to that person. Because I'm t- I'm, I'm, I've wired myself to them outside of the context of covenant or commitment. Now, here's the thing. There is so much to be said... Um, about sex and and, and dating and sexuality, it honestly, it needs its own message. And this is not that tonight. Um, I do want to encourage you actually the, the last Tuesday of October, which is when we're going to actually end this series on dating, we're going to do a Q and A. So my wife and I are going to do a Q and A. Shannon's going to host it. Um, and you're going to have the ability to text in questions, but you can already start to send those questions. You can either email them to me. Um, um, or I think there was something on Instagram. You can, you can send those through as well too, through one of our stories. um, but but come with those questions. So because I know like and that, and that's why this uh, this part honestly feels so unfair uh, of me to you because I know there are so many questions that kind of come up in this. But but I I also know that for many of this for many of us in the room, this particular topic carries a lot of baggage. And and in your in, and we prayed for you today actually regarding this. Um, because in your life, you, you might have guilt and shame that are associated with this um, because of your past or maybe even your, your current sexual failures and sin. And I, and I really need to stop right now and say what we've already been singing about and what we like, just hold on to with a death grip around here. Grace and mercy and forgiveness are all available in and from Jesus. You turn from your sin you call out to Jesus, and you walk in freedom. Not in shame, not in guilt. You walk in freedom and new life. His love takes shame away. That is the message of Jesus. That is the message we preach here. That is the message we sing about. That's the message, again, we hold on to with everything we have. And if if you're thinking... Well, okay, you were talking about, you know, trying to find this godly person to date, you know, and, and this person of character, and you're, and you're talking about, you know, be interested in me, you know, because of my failure, he's never, he's never going to want anything to do with me, or she's never going to want anything to do with me. Let me just tell you something. If the person that you are interested in um, isn't willing to marry you because of your past, good riddance to them, because they are not like Jesus. Jesus did not come for a perfect bride. Jesus came for a broken bride. That he made clean. That he washed white. That he covered in the garment of salvation. So if you are in a relationship or, or you, are, you are afraid that, man, once they find out about my past, they won't want anything to do with me. And we're saying that person is not like Jesus. Because he knows everything about you, everything about your past, everything about your future. And he wants to have everything to do with you. Jesus loved us when we were broken. You want a gracious, grace-filled spouse. Now, that is not a blank check to keep sitting, right? Because it's very hurtful to you and it's hurtful to other people. So, so what you say, if that's you, if you're sitting in this night, you say, Lord, I am yours and I want to chase and pursue after you, right? So we date with purity. The next principle, um, number five, is we date graciously. We date with purity, which leads us to we date graciously. So what do we do when there's mutual interest, right? So, like you see somebody, you're attracted to them, they're attracted to you, you actually get along, you're like, we could spend some time together. What, what, do you, what, do you do, what do you do when we date? Now, typically, what happens when you're attracted to someone and you find out that they're interested in you is that you turn into this kind of like salesperson, right? And you try to like, kind of sell yourself like, to them. You're like, oh, what are you into? Oh, you're into cats? Me too, I love cats, I got like 15 cats. <laughs> I better go get some cats, right? You know, like, or like, oh, man, you're, you're really into Grey's Anatomy? I watch Grey's Anatomy. What's Grey's Anatomy? Right? Like, so, like, you, you, you basically lie, right? Because you're trying to sell yourself, and you're trying to talk that person into thinking that you're a good deal, right? And that they should, like, sign up with you. Or, and I've seen this actually happen more and more, especially with guys, guys in the name of like keeping it real, you're like, well, she's going to be into me. She's just going to have to like me. And so your idea is she comes over and watches you watch TV and we're like, hey, this is just me. This is who I am. So if you're going to like me, you better just like me and like what I do. That's cool. Be you. Be real. Just be the real you who's like going to go somewhere in life, right? So... Neither one of those ultimately is a is a good is a good option. So so how do how do we do it? Well, identity determines acti- activity. So uh, a month ago we, we, we talked about identity in here and kind of who and, and who we are. Um, who we are informs what we do. So who are you when you're on a date? Who are you when when you're on a a date? In Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, so if you're a Christian... Paul takes these three chapters of this letter to the church at Ephesus describing who you are in Christ, um, how God has chosen to adopt men and women into his family, sons and daughters, reconciling them to himself. That's the the big story. Your identity has been completely changed. If you're a Christian, you're a a brand new creation, totally different person, you are a son or a daughter of God. And God is building this family, and we're reconciled not just to God, but we're reconciled to each other, and that has implications, meaning that, that... that matters now how we treat each other. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul picks it up and he says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, Bearing with one another in love. So he's describing what we look like because our identity has changed. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all, in, in all. So what God, what Paul's saying there, what God's saying through Paul is that, look, God has built one body, one community. God has called himself father over that community, over that family. So when you make a decision to date a follower of Jesus, which if you are a follower of Jesus, that's the only decision you can make, by the way, um, you, you come to realize that you are dating royalty, right? You're talking to a child of God. You're talking to a son or daughter of the King. So, the word courtship or, or courtesy, you know these words, right? They come from words that mean behavior fitting for a royal court. So, how do you act when you walk into the presence of royalty? You have politeness and, and respect because I realize I'm in the presence of a person of value. And for us, it's not just a metaphor for, because as a Christian, any person that you encounter has a dignity to them because they are stamped with the image of God. And then when they come to Christ, that is the very son or daughter of the living God. So there should be a reverence in how you speak to them or how, they, how you treat them, whether you recognize it, whether they recognize it in themselves or not. If you are a Christian man dating a Christian girl, you are, you are dating a daughter of God. Ladies, you are dating a, a son of God. I, I have two, two daughters. And if someday somebody tries to use my daughter, they have an issue with me. If you try to use a daughter of God, your issue is with God. Your issue is with their heavenly father. A reverence for God will impact how you treat one another in general, but it should definitely impact the way that you treat each other in dating. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Date graciously. Whenever you come in contact with another person, another image bearer of God, no matter what the relational end might be, your desire as a result of them being in proximity to you is that they are better than when you found them and that they've grown in their love for Jesus. If, if you want to know at the absolute like core, like, what am I supposed to be doing? What is the end goal of, of dating? The end goal of dating is that you leave that son or daughter of God better than when you found them. The net effect of your presence in any relationship should be that the other person is better, meaning that because they spent time with you, they love and trust Jesus more because of your presence in his or her life. If you leave a trail of broken hearts, if you leave a trail of confusion with people, then you need to seriously evaluate what you're doing in in, in relationships. Your aim in relationships is to bless them, not just to simply impress them. Your your aim in relationships is to bless them, not to simply impress them. Use the grace that's been given you to build one another up, to attain unity in the fullness of Christ, Paul says. It's about being a blessing more than it's about impressing. Your energy in a relationship is not all about how do I impress them? How do I get them to like me more? It's all towards how can I bless them? How can I encourage them to love Jesus more, to trust Jesus more, so that their faith might grow up in him more? Go on dates, hang out, have fun, have fun with each other, but to the end that you want to see them grow first in their love and enjoyment of Jesus. One of the best ways to do this, and I know this is going to sound corny because I'm a pastor, but one of the best ways to do this, honestly, is doing ministry stuff together. It, It really is. So serve in children's ministry together. Serve as small group leaders and youth together. One of my favorite things that I've I've loved to see over the past four or five summers, we do this trip, we go to this camp in in Bush, Alaska, in rural Alaska, but I love seeing 7'10 age couples in Alaska serving together as counselors. So Riley and Bailey, they're engaged. They did that this summer. It was so cool to watch them serve together because you get to see their heart for Jesus You get to see their heart for people, and it's really difficult. Kids come out of, like, super rough, super rough situations, Um, and they are not, like, always the most polite kids, and you have to just love them and love them and love them and love them, and they want to fight you, but you have to keep loving them, right? And I got to watch, like, Riley and Bailey serving to, like, at exhaustion to themselves, for the good of someone else. And when you're like locked arms with someone who's potentially going to be your spouse, you get a super clear picture on what kind of person this actually is. Because at that point, it's not about like I'm not trying to like just impress Bailey or I'm not trying to impress Riley. Like no, I'm I am like locked in to bless these kids. I am locked in to for blessing. I'm using all my energy not to impress anybody. Just to love and to bless somebody else. Right? The, the last point on this is that being gracious is, is attractive. Proverbs eleven sixteen 16 says, a gracious woman attains honor. And guys, it's the same for you. Proverbs 19 talks about what's desirable in a man, in a, in a man is kindness. Right? If you've ever looked at like the leadership of 710, all, you know, the guys who are leading this ministry, and you're like, man, how do they all get hot wives? It's because we're kind. We're super kind. <laughs> Right we're just really kind people, no, but 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 it's, but but it's true being gracious being gracious is attractive graciousness is attractive. listen, you want to spend the rest of your life with someone who will be cool to you for better or for worse. so as a pastor, I do sadly counseling to couples that are like either have, have, have had an affair or like on the verge of an affair and it, does, it, it doesn't start physically. It starts emotionally. It starts mentally. And it's because either the husband or the wife stopped being gracious to the other. They stopped being gracious and kind and gentle and patient towards them. And instead, they just started like just fighting them on everything, nagging them on everything, accusing them of everything. You're never good enough. You're never enough. That's the consistent message that starts. So date graciously. All right, we got we to gotta get rolling here. The, pr- the sixth principle is to date in community. Date in community. It is wise to allow other people you trust into the conversation who can provide wisdom throughout the process, right? It is a wise thing to do to allow other people you trust into the conversation who can provide wisdom throughout the process. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, 6 says, with many counselors, victory is sure. Getting the right voices in your life can keep you from spending too much time with the wrong person. Let me say that again. Getting the right voices in your life will keep you from spending too much time with the wrong person. And it not only can keep you from dating the wrong person, they can help you identify the right one, right? This is, this is one of my concerns about online dating because I think what it does is, is eliminates this important contribution of the community. It's interesting because I've d- just done a lot of reading on this and some re- research. The two places where people meet their future spouses today the most uh, are, are bars and online. One-third of married couples today meet online. Now here's the issue with those two places, right? So typically in a bar, it's it's loud, right? People are drinking, so we're not always making the best decisions anyway. And your friends can't really hear like what the other person is saying to you. So over there, your friends and some guys are, like chatting you up, like you can barely hear kind of what they're saying anyway, or, or vice versa. Online, it's you and a screen. You don't have the, your community around you. Now I'm not saying that you can't meet people in these places. The the places are it's not the point, right? So date online. Go to bars, just be careful. I don't really care, right? The place is not necessarily the point. What I'm saying is it helps to have evaluation around you. So select people that love you, that love Jesus, and that are not afraid to tell you what you need to hear. Find some married people that would spend time with you and the person that you want to date. One of the huge benefits of this community, honestly, um, is that there are older people who are invested in this community who, who want to spend time with you, who want to be in your life, who want to be there for you, who, like, they volunteer to serve you. They volunteer to listen to you. They volunteer to walk alongside you. They, they volunteer to speak into your life. Those are available through our redemption communities. You've, you've got guys like me and Connor and Jed and Shannon who are, um, are all married. Jesse's back there. Je- Jesse's married as well, too. So we've got these people who are who lead out of this community, who serve this community, who are married, who would love to walk alongside of you um, all of us have excellent wives, um, women. So they would be they would love to talk to you as well too. So take advantage of what this community has to offer by way of of people, and get people around you. in 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 Song of Solomon, which is like the love book in our Old Testament, it begins with this woman uh, speaking, and and she says, "Let let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth." Right. So when the book opens, you you find this woman, and she's like already infatuated, right? She's already infatuated with this guy. And, and when you get infatuated with someone, you, you can lose clear thinking. And when you meet this woman who's at the beginning of Song of Songs, she's like, ah, I want to put my mouth on his mouth. Like, ah, I love him, right? And, but as the book progresses, you see four people speak. There's, there's the woman, there's the man, there's God, and there's her friends. And you see her friends as she talks about her infatuation with a guy, and when it's her friends' turn to speak, they say rightly, they say, do they love you? In other words, her friends are not infatuated with the man the way that she's infatuated with the man, and so they can say rightly and impartially, is he the right or proper person for you to set your affections on? Some of you, what you've done is you've, you've been dating someone that all your friends, all your counselors, all the wise people in your life, they've been saying to you, look, this doesn't really feel like a great fit. And what some of you do is rather than evaluate that relationship with the person that you're dating that you shouldn't be dating, you start to cut out the people who are hating on the person that you're dating. And they're not hating. They're just speaking wisdom into your life. But you process it as hating. Um, and, 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 and that is a huge mistake Get wise and loving people around you and let them evaluate and tell you what they see. So date in community. The last principle to apply on how you should date is to date patiently. The last principle to apply is to date patiently. Don't rush, give it time. In, in 1 Timothy um, chapter 5, verse 22, so Paul is writing this letter to this young man, Timothy. He's, he's like, young in ministry, and Paul's writing to me, he says, don't be hasty, In the laying on of hands. Now, the passage, what Paul's writing about is leadership in the church, right? So he's saying, like, don't rush into making people leaders in the church. But the principle can be easily applied and transferred to dating and relationships in your life. So laying on hands refers to conferring of authority on someone, right? So like elevating somebody to a position before it's too soon. And Paul warns Timothy, he says, don't be in a rush to do that. And this is how he explains it. This is through uh, paraphrase the, the message. He says, don't appoint people to church leadership positions too hastily. If a person is involved in some serious sins, you don't want to become an unwitting accomplice. In any event, keep a close check on yourself. And then he says, the sins of some people are blatant and march them right into court. Meaning like you, they're obvious. You can see them. The sins of others don't show up until much later. Then he says, the same with good deeds. Sometimes you just see the good deeds right away, and he says, but none are hidden. He says, so there, so in other words, this is what Paul's saying there. He's like, there are going to be some people, and in dating, it's like this too. There are going to be some people where it's obvious that they shouldn't be trusted with leadership. There's people, like, it's obvious. They should not have access to me. They, 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 they should not uh, have that level of relationship with me. For others, he says, their sins follow after. They're going to appear charming, and they're going to appear polite, and they're going to appear gifted, right? So it's like in Frozen, okay? The dude shows up, and he kind of walks in, and he seems great, and you're like, love is an open door, right? And you're like, this is amazing, right? And next thing you know, he's trying to kill you and steal all your money. But that's what happens, is that we go for Prince Hans, and we don't even think about like Christoph, who's right around the corner, that illustration is going to work way better with my kids um, than it did not here. The point is, <laughs> there is a point, watch the person, and over time, cracks begin to show. If you put them in different pressures and situations, those cracks start to reveal themselves. Again, I'm going to use the Alaska Mission trip thing. Like, you put someone in a pressure situation where they have to, like, give themselves, where they have to be unselfish, it starts to reveal character. And that's really, that's what you want. You want to be in the context for someone where you can really see what they're made of, not just what they look like. You want to see what they're really made of. Wait long enough to date someone until you see their character, until you see how they treat people that they're not trying to date. And, and, and Paul says also, he says, good works are obvious. They can't remain, remain hidden. Just like poor character won't stay hidden, good character will not stay hidden. My wife and I, we dated for, for five years, and most of that was long distance. Um, and that, that was tough. And we, even though we were long distance, we still had our fair share of failures and disaster. Um, but we also had great moments of serving others together. And we got to see each other at our best and at our worst. And, and here's how it worked for us. We grew in our friendship. We grew in our love for Jesus. We grew in our love for others. And then we grew in our love for each other. And when the time was right, we walked down the aisle. And so you need that time and you need the context of, I need to really see who this person is. I need to see their character come out. Lastly, like dating patiently means that we understand and we believe ultimately that God is a good shepherd who leads and takes care of us. He's a perfect father who gives good gifts to his kids. God who is willing to give his life for you, you can trust him with your heart and your soul and the deep desire that you have to be with someone forever. God will care for you. The reality is some of you have waited and will have to wait more. God has has given us himself to lean on as we journey on through the life that he's given us. Isaac in the Old Testament had to wait until he was 40. Some of you, you might have to wait that long, right? But it's better to wait for the right person than to not wait and regret it deeply. Now, here's the deal, and we, we close with this. If I trust that God gave the life of his son for me to forgive me, I can trust that he cares about the deepest things of my heart. And he does. And I hope that you'll rest in him. That God who loves you, that God who commands your destiny so you can wait patiently and trust your heart to him and him alone. Psalm one, eighteen, eight and nine says this. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now I pray, we pray, that God in his due time would bring you all the right prince or princesses <laughs> to love you all of your days. But I pray that your hopes in your season of singleness would not be fixed on a prince or a princess, but on the king. And that in this season that you would walk with him, believing that he will care for your needs, and if it be his will, that he would lead you to the right person at the right time. Let's pray. God, thank you um, just for this moment tonight. God, I thank you for the food and the fun and the time that we're gonna enjoy together tonight. And uh, God, thank you for being with us. And God, thank you for your word that helps us navigate through the complexities of life, um, God, and gives us such great wisdom that ultimately leads to our joy and fullness and abundant life that we have with you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Amen. amen.